a great moment in my life. It really was. <laughs> Who's Jimmy Chitwood anyway? Really? I mean, uh, listen, uh, I thought you might like that. You know, 16 years ago, my wife Michelle and I moved from Greenwood, Indiana to Dallas, Texas. And I love Texas. My wife and I, we raised three kids uh, there in Texas and they're grown now. But it, it's awesome to live there. Texas is like a different country. It really is. It's, it's like a country. Of, they, that's what they believe anyway. And uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, uh, in fact, we had a tough winter. It got down to 29 one day. And... Um, Everybody panicked, and there was uh, a threat of flurries, and so they canceled school because they said, flurries, that sounds intense. We're not messing with that. So, yeah, that's, that happened. And then uh, Texans don't eat healthy either. No, we eat good. We just don't eat healthy. This is a picture of a grocery store in Houston after Hurricane Harvey. This is the vegan section. So Texans were like, no, thank you. We'll take our chances with starvation. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of a different world, but it's been a fun to experience it. Anyway, thank you for having me this weekend. I want to invite you to the North American Christian Convention. As John said, it's a Christian conference that our tribe holds every year. This year, I have the honor to be in the president. It's here in Indianapolis at the Indiana Convention Center, June 26th through the 28th. Take a look at this. Uh, see what we have planned. I really want to invite you personally. We'd love to have you. You can stop by the table. I'll be in the lobby across from Connection Corner by the brick wall there. We'd love to give you some information about uh, the speakers we have coming this year. We would love to have you be a part of that. So stop by and see me after this service. I want to begin with a story. I, I love this story. Uh, there's a man. He's driving around a neighborhood. And he sees a sign in front of a house, and it says, Talking Dog for Sale. Talking Dog for Sale. He's intrigued. You would be, too. So he rings the bell, and the owner tells him that the dog is in the backyard. And the guy goes in the backyard, and he sees a golden retriever sitting there. And he looks at the dog, and he says, So you talk? And the dog says, Yep. And he says, So what's your story? And the dog begins to go in this... He just talks. He says, well, I discovered that I could talk when I was pretty young and I wanted to help the government. So I told the CIA about my gift and in no time they had me jetting around from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies, eavesdropping because who's going to figure a dog's going to do that? I was one of the most valuable spies for eight years running, but the jetting around got me really tired. I settled into uh, a, a job at the local airport and I was awarded a batch of medals because I did a whole bunch of things and uncovered a whole bunch of drug dealings and now I'm just uh, you know I settled down I had a batch of puppies and now I'm just retired well the guy is amazed he can't believe that the dog can talk like this and he goes back in and he asks the owner what do you want for this amazing talking dog and the owner says um 10 bucks and he says 10 bucks are you crazy this dog is amazing why are you selling him so cheap and he said because he's a liar he didn't do any of that stuff <laughs> 
I don't care who you are, that's funny right there. <laughs> now, a talking dog might seem a little bizarre, but in our story today, God is going to speak to a man named Moses in an equally unusual way through a burning bush. And Moses is this intriguing Bible guy that I really identify with, and I hope that you can look at a season in his life with me today, and maybe you'll identify with him too. First, a little background. The nation of Israel is under Egyptian oppression. It's been about 400 years. That's a long time. They had no memory of freedom. Their story is a sad one. It's about bondage. It's about slavery. They have no national identity. We're introduced to this man, Moses, early on in the book of Exodus, chapter 2 to be exact. And Moses doesn't have the slightest idea right now that God is going to call on him and use him as an agent of deliverance for his children. So he's going to be the one to set the captives free. Here's what's happening. Pharaoh issues an edict that all Hebrew babies should be murdered at birth. Horrible oppression. Unthinkable at our day. Male babies. And so Moses' uh, parents decide to get creative. They want to outwit Pharaoh. And they hide their baby boy in a basket and they place him uh, into the free-flowing Nile River hoping that someone would have compassion on him. And it just so happens, just by a stroke of luck, right, just by happenstance, that Moses' older sister was attending Pharaoh's daughter when she found the baby. Exodus chapter 2 picks it up in verse 7. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Hmm, I wonder who she'll choose, right? Yes, go, she answered. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. And so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. And that's how Moses became part of the Egyptian world. Now fast forward in a few years, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace and he becomes the prince of Egypt. And he learns Egyptian culture and he learns Egyptian ways. And he's familiar with the many gods of Egypt. And there's a day in his life that would sort of mark him. Uh, he's out one day amongst the soldiers and he witnesses a Hebrew slave that's being abused by an Egyptian soldier. And in a fit of rage, Moses kills the Egyptian soldier. And his crime, of course, doesn't go unnoticed. Exodus 2.15 says that when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. It's a desert community, so he's a wanted man now. He's, he's a fugitive. He's loose, and uh, he's on the run now. That's quite a departure from a life growing up in Egyptian royalty. Now he becomes a shepherd. He's tending sheep for the next four decades. One day he comes upon a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And he stops to look at the bush. And the Bible says that God begins to speak to him from the burning bush. Can you imagine him going back to the shepherd's quarters that night? What would you do today, Moses? Oh, no big deal. God talked to me through a burning bush. Sure he did, Moses. Sure he did. We think you've been burning a little bush, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jim Gaffigan, for that joke. But it's true. God is speaking through a flaming shrub. And we're about to get a lesson from all heaven that's very simple today. Our outline is very simple today. Here's the first thing we learn in the life of Moses. That God is a God of the people. He's a God of the people. 
How so? Well, look how he identifies himself. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's naming names now. It's easy to look at that little verse and look past it and say, yeah, 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 what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. It's a huge moment in the history of God and his people. God is introducing himself to us. And he makes a choice to identify himself with people. God is saying, I'm the God of your father and your grandfather and his grandfather and his grandfather. And I've been here from the beginning. I'll be here till the end. God wanted Moses to remember that. So he, he reverts back to a little history. And the Bible says at this point Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Kind of surprises me really, right, that he's fearful because if you're like me, do you do this? Sometimes you sort of graduate popular Bible characters to supernatural status like they're Avengers or something. Like you heard about them in Sunday school and vacation Bible school growing up, if you did that sort of thing. And now you're like, yeah, he's Moses. He's Bible guy. He's Charlton Heston with chiseled features. His Duck Dynasty beard flowing in the wind, right? His voice sounds like James Earl Jones. He's Moses. I don't think so. I, I think he's just a normal guy like you and me. We do this. We, we sort of, we think these Bible guys are, are fearless. Maybe you did it with Abraham. He's the father of our faith. He's a superhero. Um, I got news for you. He was a 90-year-old senior citizen when God called him to build a nation. If he were here today, he might be in a nursing home playing bingo in the rec hall, right? So we kind of do this. When you picture Moses, don't, don't picture fearless Bible guy with a cape. He's scared. He's hiding his face scared. He's shaking in his sandals scared. And the Lord looks at him and says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. You hear the language, my people. He loves his people. He's concerned. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He's concerned. Store that up in your heart just for a moment, if you will. I think it's important for us to remember back in the day of Moses. It's more important even to remember today. God is not abstract. He's not theoretical. He's, he's involved. He's not a cosmic finger pointer or a divine killjoy. He loves people. He loves you. He loves me. It was that way from creation. When you open your Bible, what are the first three words you see in Genesis 1? First three words. In the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of God? I don't think so. We don't know much about the origin of God. In the beginning refers to the beginning of the love story between God and his people. He loves people. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And he looks at Moses and he says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. God says, I'm coming down. Moses was probably excited. Yeah, God, sick him. Let's do this. Let's go for this. This is a big moment. High drama. God's coming down. Which makes, honestly, the next verse even funnier. And it provides our second thought from the life of Moses today. Is that God works through people. See how complicated this is? God works through people. Look at what it says. Verse 10. Now Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can't you, imagine Moses, can't you imagine him saying, I thought you were coming down. You, you said you was coming down. I've already tried this. Like, I've tried to protect your people. Now I'm out here tending these smelly sheep. No, this is your deal. 
And God said, no, Moses, I'm sending you. I had that happen to me. Um, after I graduated from high school, I decided to be a pharmacist. I, I, went, I was going to go to Purdue. I'm actually a, an Indiana fan, so that was really hard for me. I'm a big Hoosiers fan. Sorry, Purdue fans. Anyway, but I, was, I chose your school, so, so that counts for something. Amen? Right? <laughs> so I'm on my way to Purdue, and my father is driving me in our family car. And on the way, there was a massive storm that hit. And uh, the, the rain is coming down so hard. Have you ever been through an Indiana rain? Of course you have. Where you've had to pull over because the rain was so hard. And so I can remember it like it was yesterday. The rain is coming down so hard. We're pulled over, kind of had a father-son moment. My dad looks over at me and he says, so this is what you want to do with the rest of your life. And I said, yeah, I think so. And he looks at me and he says, you want to count pills the rest of your life. And I said, well, I, with all due respect, Dad, to, I think there's a lot more to it than that. He's like, okay, is this what you want to do? And I'm like, where are you going with this? And my father looks at me and he says, your mother and I always thought you would go into ministry. I looked at that man and I said, that would have been nice to mention to me one time, you know. <laughs> Just once. Well, I'm mentioning it to you now. We turned the car around. I never made it. Three days later, I was in a 7 a.m. Old Testament history class at Ozark Bible College. That'll wake you up, by the way. <laughs> and I learned a valuable lesson that day on the road to Purdue, that God had a place for me in his kingdom, that God uses people to move his kingdom forward. Let me tell you, never in my wildest dreams did I ever, ever envision being where I am today. The kingdom of God, there is a place for you in it, for everybody, people sharing and caring and serving and loving and giving. One of the things I loved, standing backstage, listening to John talk about the sweet spirit in this place and how much he's been embraced and how much he loves you and how much he wants for this church to be unified. It's been an amazing experience to listen to him talk about the sweet spirit in this place. That's what the body of Christ was intended. You and me coming together. It's a beautiful thing. You know what's not beautiful? When the body of Christ is divided. When you're disengaged. When you're aloof. When you're not connected. When you're detached. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this. The human body has many parts. But the many parts that make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And all of you together are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it and if there's anything that I hope to connect with this weekend here at Connection Point is that I want you to understand that you have a place in the kingdom of God you have a place here at Connection Point in fact uh, you know what the grossest thing in the whole world is the grossest thing in the whole world is a body part that's disconnected from the body where are you most likely to see a body part disconnected from the body? Two places I can think of. One is a horror movie, right, which I will never see because I'm scared of those things, right? It's not uncommon in a horror movie to see a hand severed or a finger severed or someone's head severed from their body. You know where else you might tend to see it? The church. And both of them are super scary. 
Detached body members are better off in horror movies, not the church. It's God's people that make up the church, the body of Christ. And you need to be connected. And it is a tragedy when you aren't connected because God uses people to move his kingdom forward. And the key to that is having the courage to get involved and respond when God calls your name. I'll talk about that in a moment. Look how Moses, the superhero, responds when God calls his name. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses doesn't feel qualified. He doesn't think he can play a big part in the kingdom. Moses has a few weaknesses. He's fearful. He lacks self-confidence. We learn later that he has trouble speaking. I can relate to that. When I was in kindergarten... uh, When I was in kindergarten, I was put in speech therapy. My father had some speech problems. I was in speech therapy for four years. Their teacher, her name was Mrs. Pinson. I was in this little room with her. for Every every morning, during morning recess, we had speech therapy. So everybody else is playing dodgeball and, you know, on the monkey bars. And I'm in a room with Mrs. Pinson saying, Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner, right? I still remember that phrase. Yeah. 45 years later, I remember that phrase, right? I was there for five years. Mrs. Pinson calls my parents in, has a meeting and says, listen, and I quote, Drew will be fine as long as he doesn't choose a profession that involves public speaking. (laughs) True story. I mean, I didn't like her anyway, so... Maybe the reason I'm here this weekend is to make sure you hear the truth about my life. I mean, let me tell you, friend, if God can use me, he can use anybody. And it's a great segue to our final observation, the one I'll spend the remainder of our time on. It's this. This is what I learned through Moses. God does his best work through flawed people. Flawed people. Moses was a flawed person. He had some things in his past he wished he could relive. Don't we all? A few years back, I was in a grocery store in our hometown called Market Street, and they have these food courts with hot food. And I was with a friend, and, and he wanted to, to do the create-your-own-pasta bowl or whatever. So we go up there, we order, and she gives me the receipt. And I'll never forget the receipt. I still have it. It said, create your own past, $9.49. Apparently, there was only enough room for that many characters And the receipt left off the A in pasta. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could recreate some of your past for $10? Who among us wouldn't have a day we'd like to relive? Who among us wouldn't have a a month we'd like to do over? Maybe a whole season or relationship we'd just soon do something different with? All of us would love to have the ability to create our own past or recreate it for $9.49. I mean, let's face it, we're flawed people. I love the story of the mom who visits her son for dinner one evening, and her son lives with a female roommate, and she doesn't approve. But during the meal, she couldn't help but notice how pretty the roommate was, and she's thinking maybe there's more to this relationship than meets the eye. Her son catches her in this and says, I know what you're thinking, mom, but Jennifer and I, I assure you, we're just friends, we're just roommates. About a week later, Jennifer comes to him and says, ever since your mother came to dinner, I can't find the silver serving plate. You don't think she took it, do you? He said, my mom is not a thief. I don't think so, but I'll email her just to be sure. 
He sat down and wrote, dear mom, I'm not saying that you did take the silver plate from my house. I'm not saying that you did not take the silver plate. But the fact remains that it's been missing ever since you were here for dinner. A few days later, his mom replied, dear son, I'm not saying that you and Jennifer are more than just friends. And I'm not saying that you aren't. But the fact remains, if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the silver plate by now. (laughs) I like this crowd. You guys are good. (laughs) Go mom, right? We all have moments in our life where we've lacked integrity, moments we weren't proud of, seasons we wish we could have back. Believe me, I've had a few moments like that. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was driving um, in in my car, and I was driving... um, down Heritage Avenue in our community. Heritage Avenue is a, a main thoroughfare, and there's, it's where our three schools are, where we live, Heritage Elementary, Heritage Middle, Heritage High School. And I'm driving through there, and I see the dreaded uh, blue and red lights in the rearview mirror. So I pull over, and it's a, a policewoman, and she comes up to uh, my, my door, and I rode down the window, and she looks at me, and she just says, wow, just wow. And I'm like, well, this could be good. This could be one of two things. She could be pulling me over just to say, you are the most amazing driver I've ever seen. And I just wanted to acknowledge that today by pulling you over. Or second, it could be, you're the dumbest person I've ever met in my life. It was the second one. Anyway, so she said, "Uh, you were speeding in a school zone with no seatbelt on your cell phone, which is illegal in Texas, and your inspection sticker is expired. I don't suppose you have proof of insurance. And I'm like, I don't. Uh, And there's a, seriously, seriously, there's a Bible next to me on the seat next to me. And she said, do you ever read that thing? And I said, I do. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church. I didn't say that. I wanted to say that. She looked at me and says, Pastor, you got a problem. You are in, (laughs) the way I see it is you're in dire need of grace. She turns around, goes back to the squad car, and I'm thinking, she's going to give me grace. She's going to give me six warning tickets. (laughs) She did not give me six warning tickets. You know, the way I see it is the world is in dire need of grace. The fact is sin is a bigger disaster than we think it is. And grace is more amazing than we can ever fathom. And here's what I've learned in 30 years of ministry, the grace of Jesus always seems to outweigh my flaws. I love that. I never thought God could use me the way he has. Sometimes we have little smalls, we can, little, little flaws, right? Little, little tiny character quirks. We can get through those. I was at a movie theater with my wife a couple years ago, and we advertise at, at movie theaters. And um, there, there was a new commercial coming on, and I wanted to see it. And it didn't have my face or anything. Just, I just narrated it and had pictures of our church and us doing community service and our service times. And so we showed up early, you know, because they do it before the previews. And so we were listening to this new commercial. And there's a lady behind us, my wife and I, and she leans over to her husband and she goes, his voice is kind of annoying. I don't think I'd want to go to that church. So my wife stands up and turns around, and I'm thinking, this is awesome, girl fight in the theater. (laughs) And so she turns around, and she says, you have no idea how annoying he can really be. (laughs) 
Throws me under the bus right there. Sometimes our flaws are small. Sometimes they're not so small. Sometimes we have struggles. Maybe it's a secret sin or an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship trouble that you're working with. Maybe you just are addicted to your job, whatever it is. Sometimes we have moments in our life that we'd like to do over. Um, We have this propensity in our life just because of our sin nature to go back to where we shouldn't. Um, I, I, last year, I had the incredible privilege through a thing called CDF Capital to do, um, to do mentoring for about 60 young pastors. I'll spare you the long story, but there was about 20 pastors at a time that would come to our home over a span of about six months. And they came uh, just for a day and spent a day with me, and we talked about life and leadership. And my wife decided to make homemade peanut butter cookies amazing. She makes the best peanut butter cookies. She makes about four dozen and they eat about two dozen. So that night I've got two dozen peanut butter cookies by myself. I'm getting ready to dig into them. And, and she reminds me that I started Weight Watchers the day before. And I'm like, well, how many points is a cookie? And she looks it up, 12 points for one cookie. That's just not even Christian, right? I mean, so I can't even really eat a cookie. I eat like a half a cookie, which, you know, I mean, that doesn't really do much for anyway, for anybody, right? And so uh, she did what she did next, I'll never forget. She takes the cookies, the perfectly good homemade cookies. She puts them in a big Ziploc bag. She seals the Ziploc bag. She takes them. She, we have this big island, and it has a drawer that pulls out, which is our trash can. She puts them in the trash. Jezebel. Anyway, <laughs> I can say that because my wife's not here. And we're not online right now. So anyway, so we both go to bed. I get up the next morning. I'm, I'm sitting there having my coffee. I'm at the island. And I'm thinking, they're in a Ziploc bag, right? It says right there on the box, it stays fresh. It's germ-proof. So I did it. I pulled it out, and I, one, you know, five, and I zeal back up and shove it. And so now I'm having some cookies with my coffee, you know. She comes around the corner. She looks at me, and she's like, Really? I've been married 30 years. Nothing good ever happens after. Really? You guys know that, right? She takes, she pulls it out. She takes the Ziploc bag out. She shuts the door. She goes through the garage. She puts it in the big black container that's going to go out by the curb, right? So she shuts that. She comes back in. She's like, enough, right? I said, at least you could have let me take him to the church this morning for the other pastors. She goes, I have no faith that they would have ever made it to the church. So I go to church that day. I wish this story was over, but it's not. I go to church that day, and it's a nice big warm day in Texas. I come back eight hours later. I pull my car through. I, go, I get out of my car, and I look at that trash can. And I'm thinking, they're still in a Ziploc bag. And now they're warm again. <laughs> I mean, how many of you can relate to this moment? My peeps, you're out there. So I, I'm, ser- I'm serious. I, I pull that thing up, and I'm, dig- I'm down there digging, and I hear my wife coming through the garage. I, sh- I, I dropped it so fast, I shut it on my, on my head. And I pull it out, and she's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I was just throwing some things away. And honey, how are you, you know? And I just want you to know I made it, I made it through the day, and we put it, uh, they, I didn't touch them again. I really didn't. Now, I tell you that story to remind you that even if we're Christ followers, 
we tend to somehow gravitate back to the trash of this world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every time I'm tempted to go dumpster diving this world, I think of what Jesus did for me. And I'm so glad that God does some of his best work through flawed people. So here is Moses. And he's worried about his ability to make any kind of kingdom impact. And he's saying, who am I? How could I possibly do this? I'm not worthy. I'm not your guy. And I love God's response because he doesn't give Moses a pep talk. He doesn't tell him he's a snowflake, unique and special in every way. He says five words. He says this, I will be with you. I'm sorry, friend, but when I think back to some of the darkest moments of my life, just knowing those five words makes all the difference in the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then he says this, if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? God is virtually telling Moses, this is a lock. I guarantee victory here. I love that. Moses is saying, who am I? Who am I? What makes me qualified? And God says, you're the one that I'm with. I'm with you. And the short of it is that through this flawed individual, through Moses, God redeemed the children of Israel and his people were once again free. Here's my takeaway from this amazing story. And if you don't get anything out else out of this message, I hope you remember this. Never forget this. God will do what you can't, friend, but God will never do what you won't. God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you won't. When Moses was short on power, God reminded him, I'll be your strength. I'll be your power. I'll be with you. I'll be your might. But if Moses was short on courage, God wanted him to muster up the faith to make it happen and to believe. And we have to trust God and trust his power that he'll bring the thunder. And we have to roll up our sleeves and dig in and move obediently and sacrificially. And we worship like it's all up to God. And we work like it's all up to us. And here's what we learn in between. As we move in obedience, God's power gets revealed. The idea that God will do what you can, but God will never do what you won't. Some of you, you have the ability to be enormous change makers in this church will you make will you have the courage to make that happen can you work past your flaws long enough to discover ways to move the kingdom forward some of you your story would be a huge encouragement to a kid in student ministry here will you tell your story some of you have the gift of giving you do it's a thing you were put on this earth to reach people with your resources are you listening are you prepared to be generous there are those among us here today, I should never assume, God may be calling you into ministry. You've ignored his voice. You've made all the excuses like I did. But today it's become abundantly clear, crystal clear, that God is calling you. What will you do when God calls your name? Because you have to make the first move. You have to respond to God's call. God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you won't. And friend, if he can use me, he can use you. There's a place for you. He's a God of the people. He loves people. He works through people. It's simple, but it's profound. People just like you and me. People, yes, even with flaws, God works through them. And he builds this amazing thing, the body of Christ. And you're a part of it. And you're special. And you're a big part of it. So don't just sit on the sidelines. Get involved. 
understand that God could be calling you too. Let me pray over you. God, we love you. And I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the laughter that filled the room. I thank you for studying your word today. I thank you for the life of Moses. We can identify with it. And most of all, I thank you that you work through imperfect people, flawed people just like me. And God, thank you that you called my name. And I pray that as you call out the names of each person that's watching, each person in this room, that they would respond with the courage. We know there's some things we can't do, but there's some things we need to do. Give us the courage to move forward. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.